Welcome back for another weekly episode of Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to supply you with your daily or weekly dose of boxing news and boxing talk. My name is Wilton Henry. My name is Daniel Lee. And my name is Lavelle Jackson. What up, fellas? Uh, how was your weekend? The weekend was solid, man. Um, been a little bit of relaxation. I uh, kicked off Friday. I got off work and um, some some plans were rescheduled. And so I hit my boxing coach and, you know, hey, you got anything open for the weekend? He was like, yeah, I think it's some rounds in. So he had some of his fighters uh, that was already working. So I got three rounds in um, and the guys were working myself. So Friday was cool. Um, and then uh, Saturday I got a massage and watched some boxing. And then today we here. So it was a pretty solid weekend. I can't complain. I can't complain uh, neither. It's been a relaxing weekend. I, I took it easy. Uh, of course, I made a point to, you know, exercise and do other things, but also, you know, relaxing, you know, uh, with the wife and even watching, you know, catching up with the, the fights that we're going to talk about. So um, it was nice. It was a good weekend, relaxing. Yeah, that sounds like a good week weekend. Um, Danny, I have a quick question for you. So you you did a little bit more sparring this weekend. So um, have you kind of made a decision on whether or not, you know, even considering fighting amateur or fighting in the amateurs? I'm still thinking about it um, while trying to get my weight down. So it's the thing where I have the time because, you know, I still need to drop like 15 to walk around realistically. And um, I am more open to it because I didn't know there was like a local it's for like 30, 30 plus year olds, basically. And so, you know, I would be within my age and weight class. So uh, I'm still open to it. I'm still kind of in a place of, you know, putting in the work and, and dropping the weight before I make like a solid decision. So, no, I was going to say that's so cool yeah, just, because, yeah. you know, I didn't know that either that they had that type of division. But, you know, this week we're going to do a lot of recapping of fights and then also make some predictions on some fights. But one of the fights that we're going to recap in a second is a guy who turned pro at the age of 29. So, you know, if you keep that in mind and how well he performed, that that's something that, you know, you should consider when you just make your decision also. Um, but moving on to the topics that we're going to talk about this week, we have about nine topics and like i said for the most part we'll be recapping some of the fights that have take that took place over the weekend and then also we have some predictions that we're going to make of some potential fights uh the first fight that we want to discuss uh, was the caleb plant and caleb truex they fought on saturday in the main event live on pbc uh what do you fellas think about caleb plant's performance I thought it was a, a good performance. Uh, we had Caleb Plant, the battle of the Caleb's, you know, Caleb Plant, 20 and no, 12 uh, KOs against Caleb Truax, who was also, uh, who was 34 and four with 19 KOs. Um, you know, Plant dominated the fight. Uh, if you listen to our podcast before, you know, we all predicted that uh, Caleb Plant would win this fight. Um, he started off using his superior boxing skills and, you know, using his jab. The first thing I noticed was the jab to the body of Caleb Truax. So uh, watching that, I thought he might have – he was going to get the stoppage. Uh, he didn't. Uh, he didn't get that stoppage, of course. At certain points, it seemed like he could have stepped on it, and he, he didn't. And in certain, certain spots, he, he did step on it. But also he had – uh, as he said, one of his hands was injured, so that probably took away from it. But I definitely was uh, uh, impressed with, the, you know, his, his skills and his footwork and how uh, Plant was using his jazz, his punch selection. Um, because in fights like this, even though we kind of have an idea who's going to win and we look at how the winner fights. Um, and in this case, he looked real sharp, you know, um, pretty much beat up Truex. So from that point of it, I was uh, impressed with his performance. There was a, a period in that fight, I think around the eighth round, where uh, I, I kind of was like, hmm, when, when uh, Caleb Truax started to uh, time and catch uh, Caleb Plant with, you know, right-hand counters. Um, and when, when situations like that happen, there's two ways to look at it. Like, sure, he's open to that punch. But also, when Truax did land those shots, um, 
it was like planting it wasn't even phased. He didn't go anywhere. It shows that, you know, he has uh, somewhat of a chin, you know, because he wasn't buzzed at all. So it was a pretty good performance from uh, Caleb Plant. So in this matchup, I thought Caleb did what was expected. He got the victory over Truex. Um, he landed 179 of his punches. Truex only landed 47. And then also Plant eluded most of Truex's shots, where Truex only landed 20 or 12% of his total punches. I like what Plant showed as far as his speed, as always. Um, he's very alert, especially with his eyes. He stays focused on the target, and he also stays focused on his opponent. Seems like he's two steps ahead of what his opponent is going to do defensively. Um, and then also he has a good arsenal of punches uh, that he throws and lands. Now, some of the grows, and I wouldn't necessarily, necessarily say grows because I thought he did what he was expected to do in a fight, but you know, just looking at his opponent, his opponent was 37 years old. And then Truex, he looks every bit of 37 years old. Um, other than uh, um, who's got the key win, Caleb really doesn't have any impressive victories on his resume. And if you think about who's got the key, who's got the key is, is a plotter, you know, with power. So, and I know he defeated Darrell, but Darrell was kind of, you know, one of those guys, he was having issues every time he gets touched. It's, you know, his legs does something funny. And so I think Uzagatiki took advantage of that leading into that plant fight. The other thing is recently I heard Plant say in an interview, David Benavides has been calling him out. And he said that Benavides is desperate and, you know, a fight against him. You know, he'll do it later. He'll fight Benavides later, but he's desperate and, you know, he's not interested in that fight. And so I'm going to get a little bit more into what I think about that uh, when we discuss another topic um, that we're going to discuss in this episode. But I don't like that, um, the fact that he, he he mentioned that because with his weak resume, that he needs to prepare himself for some of the upper echelon fighters that he may face. But overall, um, against the guy that he was facing, he did a, a, a pretty good job um, in that fight. But it was to be expected. Yep, just like you guys said, it was to be expected. Um, Plant was doing some solid work to the body early on in those rounds, and um, he looked very comfortable when he was picking his spots. I thought that he would try to kind of cash out on those deposits to the body, uh, but uh, he said that he hurt his hand in the first third of that fight. And so um, he was still, you know, obviously aggressive for the most part, but I get the sense that he wasn't, as worried about a knockout at that point after he hurt his hand. I don't know if it's broken or if it's just, you know, just a, a, a regular non-surgical injury. Um, but he did look good. He did what he was supposed to do. I have a similar gripe as Will in terms of who he's faced and, and, and who he expects to face based on his resume. Um, you know, but you can only fight the people that is put in, in front of you. And so he did that very well. So um, that hand injury, though, um, depending on the fallout of that, you know, he is it, – it, it is a sort of an unsaid expectation that he may be seeing – as a title holder, he may be seeing Canelo Alvarez in the near future as early as possibly to fall. Canelo has said he wants to fight three times this year. Um, and after this plant fight, um, you know, he could very well be preparing for that. However, the hand injury will potentially put that in jeopardy. However, if this fight is to happen, how do you fellas see that playing okay. out? So setting the stage for this fight, so plant versus Canelo, if that fight does take place, um, what are they looking at Mexican Independence Day? So going into this fight, so let's break down this matchup. You got Plant, who's 28, orthodox, out of Nashville, Tennessee, fights out of Las Vegas, 96-1 with a 74-inch reach. You got Canelo, and then also Caleb Plant is 21-0 with 12 KOs. Canelo, 54-1-2 with 36 KOs. He's 30 years old, also orthodox, out of Guadalupe, he's um, Jalisco, Mexico, 5'8", 70-and-a-half-inch reach. And so, again, you look at their resumes, the fighter that um, most notable win for a plant would be the who's got the key win. He's 
He has quick hands, fast feet, and like I said, he has real good vision and balance. Canelo, on the other hand, as we always say, seems like every episode has victories over Caleb Smith, Kovalev, Jacobs. Um, he fought Triple G twice, a victory and a draw. Yes, Cota on his resume, Lara, fought Mayweather, and then also had a victory over Trout. Um, he has very good experience. Uh, the you know obviously the competition, and as I say, pretty much every episode, he's methodical. He's a methodical uh, tactician. Breaks down his opponent uh, throughout the course of a fight. Excellent counter puncher. Defensively aware. Um, he lands. I would say some unorthodox kind of combinations. I was revisiting that Caleb Smith fight, and I saw where. He was landing the shot that Smith just had no idea that those shots were going to come. And then also, he's a, a pretty good fighter when it comes to laying traps. Now, if I'm looking at this fight based on what I see out of both guys, I see the fight relatively even, um, probably until around the seven. After that, I think it'll be all Canelo. And I think in the later rounds, he'll either. You know, the, the margin will get wider and he'll get a 12 round decision or I can see him stopping Caleb Plant. Um, man, like I said, after I revisited the Caleb Smith fight, something came to my mind. I think that Canelo might need to change his name to Easy C because just like Easy E said back in the day, built like a tank yet hard to hit. <laughs> that should be his motto, you know what I mean? Instead of Easy E. Easy C, you know, but um, man, I, I think that Caleb, again, these guys do themselves a disservice by not taking on the stiffest opposition because he has a meager resume. And by the time that he will have faced Canelo, Canelo would have had um, another two fights. And so he, he's going to have his mandatory. Then he's going to have Billy Joe Saunders on single day Mayo or single day Mayo weekend. And to me, by not challenging himself to take on a top competition, he's just really assuring himself that he won't be prepared for Canelo, you know? And so, I, like I said, I think that he's going to be fatigued. And you already mentioned the, hand, the problems with his hand. He's, not all, he's already not really a power puncher, you know what I mean? Like, he really, you know, I, I saw him knock down, who's got the key two times, but it seems like who's got the key was off balance when he knocked him down. Um, but outside of that, he really, instead of sweet hands, they might want to call him cotton hands because he, he doesn't really have that much pop in his punches. And the other thing is when he gets fatigued, I think that that's going to be his demise against Canelo. And like I said, I have Canelo winning either by a uh, um, 12 round decision or possibly a stoppage. Like I said, guys just need to um, get as many, tough top level fighters underneath their belt before they reach for fighters like Canelo. And I know that when that opportunity presents itself and you're going to make more money than you've ever made, I think it's just better to put yourself in a situation where you can actually win the fight. And sometimes you can go through and I wish and things will never go back to the way they were before, but that was how it was and it benefits you in the long run because even though I may take a loss against Benavidez, but in the long run, it's going to make me better because sometimes a loss is a game. And I think, and, and what I mean by that is that you lose that fight, you learn what it is that you are deficient in and you can work on those things. But if I'm fighting weak level opposition, then I'm just glossing over all of the things that, I'm not good at, and then it's going to be exploited when you fight somebody of the caliber of a Canelo. And I think that that's what's going to happen in this fight. Well said, Will. Um, so moving along on the same car, we had uh, some heavyweights that fought. Um, we had uh, Michael Coffey, 11-0, with uh, eight knockouts against Darmini Rock, which is 17-0 with 12 knockouts. Uh, did you guys check this fight out? Yeah, I did. I did. And also, let me set the table for this one, too. So you had Damani Rock versus uh, Michael Coffey, as you just stated. Both guys 6'5". Uh, Damani Rock coming into the fight was 17-0 with 12 knockouts. Uh, Coffey was 11-0 with eight KOs. Um, Rock was is 24, and I believe Coffey is 34. And so 
Damani Rock, he was the number one heavyweight in the amateurs around 2014, 2015. And um, yeah, he, he, he has some skills. I mean, you can see it. I mean, the only problem with him, he looks like, you know, he's from Philly. And he looks like he's on that cheesesteak diet. You know, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, that he frequents either Geno's or Max's. I mean, you look at his physique. That's what it would suggest. Now, Coffee on the other end, he's a former Marine. He was in there for eight years, came in a shape. Um, and actually, he's heavier than Rock. But Coffee is just well put together. He's well coordinated, you know, for that size. His body is, you know, proportionately is well put together as opposed to to rock now as the fight started uh coffee he looked comfortable you know it was like a filling out round but i was like okay yeah he has some skills because they said that he really didn't have much of an amateur background because he, he started when he was 29 years old and so this is his fifth year fighting in the pros but they said he has some really good sparring with guys like deontay wilder and stuff like that and he's a quick learner a uh, second round um pretty much the same until rock rock went down it was like a short left that he he caught in an exchange, but the referee Jack Reese he didn't call it a knockdown. But if you know when they went to the replay, you can tell that it was a shot, and he just took a knee really from the shot. But like I say, Reese didn't call it a knockdown. So third round, I'm thinking that um, Rock is thinking that man, this dude really don't supposed to be in the ring with me. I got all this amateur experience, so it's number one amateur, and he doesn't have you know he doesn't have any experience. So I'm going to go ahead and go in here. I'm going to turn it up. I'm going to pose my will on him. And then next thing you know, um, he backed Coffee to the ropes. But then that was the wrong move because Coffee landed a nice uppercut. Boom. Put him down. And then um, he hit him with, I think it was a, like a right hand or something like that that put him down and he couldn't make the count. And so the referee called the fight off. Very good, impressive win from Coffee. Like I said, he looks real comfortable in the ring. It's real powerful and pretty polished for somebody, especially who hasn't had the amateur background. And so I believe, like, for me, the moral of the story is um, Coffee. He's going to be dangerous for anybody that he faces at the heavyweight division with that power. And then Rock, on the other end, my um, advice to him is train more, eat less. You said it perfectly well and certain things of how I saw this fight. Uh, I think it was one, you know, from uh, nutrition and training. Uh, it, it, Rock looked like he didn't even, you know, train that hard. Like he just came there uh, for the check. And maybe, he, you know, he may have gotten that, that call to for this fight on short notice. I mean, I understand that. But as a, you know, professional boxer, you, you also have to – Stay in shape when you're not fighting. I'm not saying you have to be a, a Spartan, you know, in your offseason or anything like that. But you should at least seem like you care about, you know, just because you're a heavyweight doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing road work or, or watching your diet. You know, I mean, just a little bit. And it's kind of a, a pet peeve of mine because, you know, the heavyweight division is a, is a glamour division. It's like you uh, all love the heavyweights. Um, you know, people say heavyweights, they're, they're bigger and stronger. And I think they say, they, people say that heavyweights today are bigger and stronger than they used to be. But I think heavyweights today um, are just taller, and a lot of them are, are just not really in shape. Um, because while they're taller, many of them many of them just seem undisciplined. A lot of them could actually make cruiserweight if they choose to, if they had the right team behind them. Um, maybe I'm spoiled because, you know, I've seen different areas of, eras of, of boxing. But I don't remember boxing, heavyweight boxers growing up. When I was growing up, you know, coming in to the fight with beer belly and stuff like that. If they did, it was like it was like they were obviously out of shape. Of course, like with the uh, Buster Douglas against Evander Holyfield. But even then, it's it's kind of a disrespectful even to compare today's guys to Buster Douglas because Buster Douglas on his best days he trained, you know. Um, and even when you look at uh, an out of shape. Muhammad Ali against, you know, even a pastic and beat up Ali against uh, Larry Holmes and Trevor Burbick um, looked in better shape than a lot of these heavyweights do today. Or even when you look at 44-year-old George Foreman when people were making jokes about, you know, him eating cheeseburgers and stuff like that, he looked to be in better shape than a lot of these guys. You know, so um, props to Michael 
a coffee. He came in, he did what he had to do. He showed that, I mean, this guy, look, I come in, I trained to fight. This guy didn't. And, and that's what happened. You can't, even though uh, skills pay the bills, you can't just rely on your, your, your skills. Boxing is a, is a sport. So you have to, it's a sport you have to train for and you have to live for it. Okay, so Ryan Garcia versus uh, Manny Pacquiao isn't official. If they do fight, it's rumors that it would be an exhibition match. But Ryan is saying that it's really an official fight. If they do fight and it's a legitimate 12-round fight, how do you guys see that clash play out? Who wins, bro? <laughs> uh, that's a hard one. I'm going to say Manny Pacquiao by decision. Um in a fight where Ryan Garcia probably has his moments, but um, again, I mean that that chin of Ryan Garcia is a question mark. And if if, if Pacquiao has about sixty to seventy percent of the power he used to have, he'll stop Ryan Garcia. Okay, um, I, I like some of the points that you made. So let me just backtrack a little bit. So we would have uh, Manny Pacquiao, who's sixty-two seven. And two with 39 knockouts. I thought Manny had more knockouts than he he um, does. He's 43, five five and a half, 67 and a half inch reach, and also fights southpaw. Ryan Garcia, on the other hand, is 20 years younger or 21 years younger at 22 years old, and he's 510. He has a record of what is he 21 and 0 with 18 KOs. Um, I think some of the dimensions of Garcia, I don't think it matters like against Pacquiao because Pacquiao's fought tall guys, he's fought short guys. He has such, you know, so much experience that those things won't really matter as much. I think the fact that um, Ryan's youth would play a role in this, um, the speed, the timing that he has, the counterpunching ability would, would play a role more so at Manny's advanced age. Now, but Manny, on the, on the other hand, as we know, he relies on those punches and bunches, um, still has pretty good speed at his age, and he has that master footwork, you know, and that's something that Ryan doesn't have. So that would play a factor in this fight as well. Um, and then I like Manny's his varied attack, where now he doesn't just rely on that left hand. He can also crack you with that right, that right hook as well. And as we stated before, you know, he has the resume with Keith Thurman. Most recently, he's beat Broner, Bradley, Marquez, Margarito, Clody, Cotto, um, De La Hoya. He's beaten Barrera, Morales. Um, and then I even give him credit for the Lacero fight. There's some other guys on there, too, that I can name. But you just see the experience and some of the high caliber opponent that, that he's faced. And not only faced, but beaten. Ryan Garcia is coming off the Luke Campbell win. Um, this would be a huge event. And like you said, Vail, one of the big things is that Manny will, if, if they fight, I'm sure that by the time they will fight, that he would have been off about two years because he hasn't fought since, was that July of 2019? So, yeah, it'd be close to two years. Um, and Ryan's been pretty much active. So he, by that, since he's fought last, Ryan ha has had about three or four fights, you know. And like I said, most recently, he's been looking better and better in his fights as well. Um, so my prediction for this fight, it all depends. I don't know what weight class they're fighting at. If they fight at 147, um, I think that Manny wins. Uh, he's too effective. When, and I'll revisit it, the Keith Thurman fight. He still does a really good job. Like Manny, at certain points in a fight, he'll rush in. And he's effective with his two-hand attack as he's coming in. And he dropped Keith Thurman because even though Keith Thurman was looking at him, it's hard to – be prepared for somebody who fights like Manny. You can't have a sparring partner that's going to emulate what it is that he does. And so when he was coming in, he was rushing to Keith Thurman and clocked him right on the head with a or on the jaw with the right hand. Like I said, Keith Thurman was watching a punch come, but he just couldn't avoid it because Manny was doing some things um, that he just couldn't anticipate. And I expect, and to me, like if Keith Thurman didn't have an answer for, <laughs> for, um, Manny Pacquiao, when he was doing those type of tactics, I suspect Ryan would suffer the same fate, but even worse because he's smaller, he's less, he has lesser experience, and then also has a weaker chin. Um, other thing too, if I'm Ryan, I want to make sure that I have random drug testing 
in my contract as well, because that could end ugly if he doesn't. Keith Thurman didn't mandate that. And so Manny Pacquiao was able to um, not have to deal with random drug testing. Now, if they fight at a catch weight or 140, then that would be more favorable for Ryan Garcia. But I still would favor Manny. Now, I could see Ryan. Now, don't laugh now. I can see Ryan stopping Manny if they fight at a catch weight or if they fight at 140. And here's why. Not only has Manny been off, would have been off for two years, but he hasn't fought below 147 since 2014 when he fought Algeria. And he hasn't fought below 140 or at 140 since 2009 against Hatton. And so being at his advanced age, um, taking um, random drug testing, that could be a lot. You know what I mean? And I think that being all two years, that's going to even more erode his skills that he has. And I can see that happening. But I still would favor Manny Pacquiao just based on the experience, the footwork, the power, and those attributes that he has. But it's, it's a closer fight if it's at 140. But at 147, I think that Manny would win. Um, and I think that he probably would KO Ryan Garcia. You guys made very good points. And I preface this by saying I don't like the idea of this fight, but I get it. Um, I get it because one, fighters got to feed their families off the sport, so I can't be mad at two fighters going off of what should be a profitable fight, assuming it happens. Um, but, you know, both fighters have plenty of others fighters in their division to go for and Pacquiao was a, was a champion at 147 uh, but that said um, in general Garcia's power and timing and Pacquiao's age is his only chance to me um, because we don't know like you guys said we don't know how Pacquiao's going to come out being 42 after two years of inactivity uh, like you said well the the catch weight, if that is the case, could make a difference. Although um, it may or may not because Pacquiao, uh, I don't know his walk-around rate off top, but I know he doesn't walk around super heavy anyway as it is. Um, but when it comes down to it, I, I have to go with the safe bet, and the safe bet all around for me is Manny Pacquiao. Um I could see a stoppage. I don't know if that's going to happen, but uh, I could definitely see Manny winning, especially if you look at, you know, what Luke Campbell as a southpaw was able to do versus what, what Manny Pacquiao could do, even a 42-year-old Manny Pacquiao. No, I, I, I want to agree with your point as far as, like, you guys should the fight happen? happen? You know, ideally, no. You know, you don't – It's like I said, it's too much smoke at 135 for – them not to be fighting each other, even if you have this opportunity. Like you said, I mean, who's not going to take the opportunity? I just wish that wasn't the case where um, either Manny decides to take on someone else. And I wouldn't even, like, Manny is in such a place where he he's old, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I can't really knock him for not taking on another one of those tough welterweights at his advanced age, but at the same time, I just wish he would move in a different direction because he's going to ruin, like, that crop of young studs who really need to be going at each other to solidify who's the best 135-pound fighter in the world, and then you should be able to get your budding star from there. You know what I mean? You could have, like, two or three stars from that um, pool of fighters. The other thing is, is even if Ryan is able to somehow defeat Manny Pacquiao, he's missing steps that is going to end up being his demise. Because if he beats Pacquiao, it's not based on the fact that Pacquiao is, he just beat Pacquiao. It's the fact Pacquiao's old and you caught Pacquiao at that moment, but you still have certain flaws that you need to work on. And only way that you can fix those flaws is in competition against different fighters, you know, that you can keep incrementally stepping up. If you out the gate beat Manny Pacquiao, it's no going back to fighting guys who can prepare you, like getting those tune-ups and things like that. Because once you beat Pacquiao, then you got to fight elite fighter after elite fighter. And he's not ready for that. 
you know, you got to fight the elite of the elite. Now you're the real cash cow. And so I just think that there's just too many reasons why it's not a good fight, but I can see why it's happening. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 100% agree. Pivoting back to Canelo, it's reported that Canelo and Billy Joe Sanders has agreed in principle to fight on either May 1st or May 8th, provided that he handles business against Yodrum in February. Um, so how do you guys see that going if that fight were to pan out? All right, so like you say, Canelo versus um, BJ Saunders. I won't speak much on Canelo because we just talked about him potentially facing um, Caleb Plant in September. And so Canelo, he has a, a good, solid plan. He's a calculated guy. Like he always, uh, he's two steps ahead of the guys that he's facing. So he's facing um, Billy Joe, where he has this tune up. He'll be well fine tuned for Billy Joe when it comes to. Um, this fight that they're going to have in May. And then that's Billy Joe Saunders is a boxer, which will prepare him and prep him for the plant fight. And it's also, you know, any kind of an elite fighter that, that will get him prepared for the next step. So I like his his plan that he has. And he always seems to have a plan in place. Like I said, before he fought Triple G before, you know, some people were knocking the Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. fight, but I thought that that was a good fight to face before you fought Triple G because you want to fight somebody who's big, who, who um, like, you know, regardless of what you think about Julio Cesar Chavez, he still can punch. He's still heavy-handed. So you can see how that feels and go against somebody like that who's pretty physically strong, big, and things like that, which will prep you for Triple G. Not that he's the same fighter, you know what I mean? But it's, it's something that's going to give you you know, some clues and ideas of what you may deal with when you're facing somebody as strong as Triple G. And I think he's doing that. You know, he has a game plan set up for when he faces the caliber fighter that Caleb Plant is and what he brings to the table. So I like that on that end. As far as Billy Joe Saunders, he's 30 oh, with 14 KOs. He's 31 years old out of the UK, 5'11". And so to me, some of his biggest victories were the Eubank win that he had, um, that he got a split decision a couple years ago or several years ago. And then also the Lemieux fight. He looked really good in the Lemieux fight, to be honest with you. He showed a good jab. Um, then also in that Lemieux fight, what I was impressed with was that he had, like, his cardio was up throughout the whole fight. You know, when he was making Lemieux miss, he never got fatigued in that fight from what I remember. Um, but it's some suspicion in there, you know, about he looked so well and so conditioned in that fight. And then later on, he ended up having to vacate his 160 pound um, title because he failed, you know, drug tests. And I think he was supposed to fight Demetrius Andrade at the time. And so when I look at this fight, if I break it down, um, based on what I've seen from Saunders in his last fight and Canelo in his last fight, I have to go with Canelo. You know, like I say, um, Martin Murray was the fighter that, um, Saunders recently faced and he started huffing and puffing after like round six and round seven, you know what I mean? It could have even been before that. That's when I remember, I was like, dang, he looks tired and, and fatigued. Um, e even though he was winning the rounds against Murray, Murray's just old now, you know what I mean? But um, Canelo's, to me, man, he, right, like right now, Canelo's at the height of his powers, right? And so, and Saunders is fighting Martin Murray and he's huffing and puffing. I think that Saunders, I, I can't see Saunders lasting 12 rounds against Canelo. And so my prediction would be Canelo by either late round stoppage or no, it'd be mid to late round stoppage. I don't see this going a distance because once Billy Joe started getting tired, then it's going to be a wrap. You know, um, when I watched the Martin Murray fight initially, I, I graded him on a curve of how does, how does Billy Joe Sanders look? And he looked, fine. He did what he had to do against the older Martin Murray. He didn't look super impressive, but he looked fine. But when I looked at it, like, when I, when I revisit and look at it, like, this is supposed to be his last fight before facing Canelo Alvarez. I, like you said, I he looked fine, but, you know, there are obviously great concerns that I had um, for him going into a Canelo fight. 
Um, the most, really, the most impressive one I've seen from him was the David Lemieux fight in 2017 at middleweight. But I also thought Lemieux was kind of overhyped by then and a little bit more of a gatekeeper at middleweight. Um, the benefit for Canelo here is that uh, Saunders has a belt. So if Canelo's aim is a unified super middleweight, I definitely think this fight will get him one step closer. Um, I think it just levels to it. And I don't think he's faced a Canelo before. Um, if anything, I mean, I think Canelo may look to make a statement fight here. Uh, because, you know, you have Canelo, that, the version of Canelo that faced guys like uh, like Caleb Smith, whereas like, he doesn't come in uh, making a whole lot of noise before the fight. It's just two guys being respectful, looking to have a good scrap. But Billy Joe Sanders could be outright disrespectful towards his opponents and in general. And so Canelo might come in with a statement of, let me take this guy's belt and shut him up. So I, I could see a stoppage happening here, to be honest with you. Yeah, you guys uh, made some great points. Uh, even though Billy Joe Sanders, you know, is a undefeated title holder, I think it's more uh, a ploy for Canelo to unify the titles and taking Sanders' belt. So how I see this fight going, based on what I see from, from Sanders, especially in his last fight, Canelo's last fight, uh, Billy Joe Sanders has no chance. This fight is a about an eighth-round stoppage. It's another Callum Smith. And, and to be honest, I think Callum Smith might even be better than Billy Joe Sanders. But that's the way I see it in the story. <laughs> now for our, our, our next um, topic, uh, we have this uh, a potential fight that's going to come up. Uh, we have an up-and-coming fighter, um, Virgil Ortiz, 16-0, and all knockouts. Uh, against uh, former 140-pound uh, uh, title holder uh, Maurice Hooker, who is 27-1 uh, and one. He only, with 18 knockouts. He only has one loss uh, against uh, Ramirez. How do you guys uh, see this fight playing out? You know, Hooker, 27-1, 18 knockouts. He's 31 years old. Uh, he's an inch taller than Ortiz, but he has a 10-inch reach advantage, 80-inch reach um, on one hand, his only loss was to Jose Ramirez at 140. And so this would be his first fight at 147. Um, on the other hand, I think he is a solid fighter, but I didn't think he was an elite fighter at 140. And I looked at how he lost, and it was kind of a, a one punch that led to the series of punches that made the ref stop the fight. When I look at his frame, I'm not sure how, what power he has carries up to 147. Um, and so I don't like this move to 147 for, for Hooker, um, nor do I like Ortiz as a first opponent for him at 147. Ortiz has as many knockouts as he has, uh, as he has fights. Uh, he's a young lion looking to, uh, you know, sort of be the next superstar at welterweight in the near future. And so um, I would give – I will predict Ortiz to win this uh, by a mid-round knockout. Danny, I agree with you, uh, and I disagree with you on a, on certain points. Um, I definitely agree that uh, Virgil Ortiz is the wrong opponent for Maurice Hooker in his first fight at 147. But I also think that 147 might be a good move for him. I think he he's still a big guy, even at 147. I think he he it could be it could have been a weight issue that he may have been fighting. We don't we don't know this, but my hunch is I mean he, he's a big guy and moving up to 147. I mean he fits right in uh, size wise. As you said, he's 5'11", has these long arms, an 80 inch 80 inch uh, reach uh, on him. Uh, but who knows? But that Ramirez knockout, it's, it's still something about that. I mean, and you don't want to go from that to fighting someone like Virgil Ortiz. But for Ortiz, I think it's a, it's a great step-up fight for him. You know, Maurice is, is, is solid. Uh, Ortiz needs some, you know, names on the scalp, and he needs someone who's going to at least bring some adversity to him. And I think Maurice Hooker uh, will do that. This fight will probably be, even be entertaining for as long as it lasts, but I do predict that uh, Virgil Ortiz uh, stops Maurice Hooker, and, I, and he's going to stop him with one shot. 
the same way Ramirez did. Yeah, I like the matchup more so for Ortiz than I do for Hooker. But for Hooker, he can reestablish reestablish himself after the loss to Ramirez in 2019. Um, one thing that I didn't know before looking these guys up, their bios, is that they're both from Dallas. Um, so there may be some familiarity with each other, and that may be why Hooker is looking to, you know, take on this task. And then um, also there's going to be some bragging rights involved. If you're from the same town and you fight each other, then you have bragging rights over the other person if you are able to get the victory. I think for Ortiz, though, more so it's a good step-up fight or a good step-up opponent. Uh, we can possibly find out some things about him. You know, can he take a shot? You know, how does he stack up against championship, you know, um, championship-level opposition hooker did fight ramirez for a belt so he is a contender who fought for a belt so how do you stack up against that level of opposition that'd be good to see and then also i want to see how ortiz is going to deal with somebody that has a few physical advantages over him in height and then also hooker has a much longer reach but i don't think hooker really uses that um he likes to bang as opposed to boxing but at the end of the day, I think the end result is going to be um, based on the fact that Ortiz, to me, he's a quicker, bigger, and more powerful version of Ramirez who Hooker lost to. And so for Hooker, I think it's going to be like deja vu. And so I see like a fourth-round stoppage, very similar to what happened to him in 2019. One thing I do want to say about Ortiz is that when I was looking at some of his highlights and some of his previous bouts, the kid reminds me of a young Fernando Vargas. When Fernando Vargas, actually, he was around 17-0 and 0 and 17 knockouts before he fought against Winky Wright. Um, he has an impressive, impressive um, blend of, I would say, like control, like power, footwork, accuracy. And then also he has um, a high level of speed as well to go with all of those different attributes that he had. So I just wanted to mention the fact that he looks like he's next up in the welterweight division. Also, uh, it looks like Joe Joyce and Alexander Usyk are going to fight next. If so, how does this matchup play out? In this fight, uh, I think that size definitely is going to matter. I say Uzik is is a is a better cruiserweight than Joe Joyce is as a heavyweight, but as we're, they're both fighting at heavyweight, and at heavyweight, I think Joe Joyce is, is, is just much better in it from the heavyweight Uzik that Uzik that he's been showing us, and I actually think Joe Joyce is going to show his he, he may show, even show his power. Um, does he stop him? I'm not sure, but I do think eventually that size is going to catch up to Uzik. And Uzik might have to, you know, fall into trying to fight a defensive fight. And I think Joe Joyce uh, beats him by decision. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so Joyce, he's 12-0 with 11 KOs. The last fight, he was like 258 when he fought. 6-6 um, six, six, six with a 80-inch reach. So, you know, he's going to have a huge size um advantage but he's also 35 years old he's a year older than Alexander Usyk who's 34 years old Usyk is um a little shorter 6'3 78 inch reach and he's 18 and 0 with 11 KOs and last time he fought he was 217 pounds that was the weight of his career um Joe Joyce in his, his short career has beaten Daniel Triple D Dubois um Brian Jennings and then he also has a victory over Romain Stavern and then above cruiserweight, Alexander Usyk had victories over Chaz Witherspoon, um, Bellew, and then he also beat uh, Chisora. Um, this is tough now. This is tough. Because Joyce, to me at his best, he's like a poor man's George Foreman. Not young George Foreman, the old George Foreman. Because uh, He's similar, like they have similar style um, as far as like heavy hands and how calm they are in the ring. And they both are slow as H-E double hockey sticks. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's slow. 
But like I said, he he such he has such heavy hands, and he has that he has a really really good <laughs> solid jab. And you know, if you don't believe that, then just ask Daniel Dubois, and you see how devastating it was for him, um, and the fact that he may no longer be able to fight with that. I believe it was a detached retina he received or got in his last fight against Joe Joyce. Now Usyk, his best attribute, and I mentioned this before, is his movement his ability to outwork his opponent. And like I say, his energy level throughout the course of a fight. And I consider like vibrance that he has. And that is good against some of these slow, methodical heavyweights. So when I add all of those things together, based and then also these guys both, I had really great amateur um, careers. So, you know, they have that pedigree going for them as well. Likely scenario. I think that, Joyce, he has heavy hands, and he could land something that may hurt or even drop Usyk. That could happen. But I don't think he has the speed, accuracy, or the killer instinct to finish the job. I just don't. I think that even if he does get Usyk in trouble, that Usyk will weather the storm and then eventually, you know, work his way out of that situation, you know, based on the experience, based on the skills that he has. Um, So really – I think in the long run, what had happened, I see Usyk boxing his way to like a 12-round clear decision. Yeah, this is an interesting one for a reason that you guys already said. You know, um, Usyk had trouble keeping Chisora off of him in his most recent fight, and Chisora was only 243. Granted, he moved better than, than Joyce would, um, and Joyce does. And like you said, Vel, I like Usyk's boxing ability better. I like them as a cruiserweight. Um, but I also think he's capped on how on how big he can get and what he can handle at, at heavyweight in terms of the size of his opponents. But but yeah, Joyce is just so so slow and and it's yeah, he's bigger, but you know, what can he do with that size versus someone who's a better boxer than him? And so uh, you know, Usyk, if he were to win this, this would put him in line to fight the winner of what we hope to be Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury. Um, it's a tough one because of those variables, but I would probably give Usyk maybe a 52-47 edge. Um, there's, there's just a lot of size overcome. But, you know, he's such a good boxer. So I would like to think that being a better boxer, um, he, he could figure it out. Moving forward with uh, some more uh, fights that could happen down the road, um, both Jamal Charlo and David Benavidez has, uh, has said that they are willing to fight each other. What do you guys think? Guys have opponents that are in their division that they haven't really – necessarily either cleaned out or they haven't fought some of the other upper echelon opponents and why not and i know it's, it's some of it is, is the fact that it's not their fault because some guys are, are basically avoiding them but i put, would prefer for them to handle that business first before jumping into a fight like this i mean it's, it's a good matchup based on both guys like the way they are um these are tough main dudes inside the ring you know what I mean? So it would be good from that standpoint. I just don't think that it's necessary for them to be fighting right now. But with that being said, looking at this matchup, you have Jamel Charlo, who was 31 and 0, 12 knockouts. I mean, 22 knockouts. Um, he's what about six feet? And he's 30 years of age, 73 and a half inch reach. I thought he had longer arms than that. Benavidez on the other end is 24 years old, 23, 20 KOs. He's 6'1", 77 inch reach. And he appears to be like longer when I see him fight than the 77 inch reach would suggest. Now for Jamel or Jamal fight at 168, things I like about him that he's tough. He got that chip on his shoulder. You know, he's excellent when he controls the distance or the geography or real estate um, in a fight. You know, has nice power, but that was at 154 and 160. So we would have to see what his power looks like at 168. Some of the things that I don't like is that 
again, he gets hit too much for my liking. Um, and sometimes he get a little wide and sloppy when he's tired. But um, and then the other thing I forgot to mention was the fact that the man, like at one sixty, I mean one fifty four and one sixty, that that power, like he has an overhand right and uppercut. I mean they're sensational, man. Like if you look at some of the fights that he's fought and some of the opponents that he knocked down, like if you look at J Rock knockout and some of the other fights as well, that with the uppercut, like he can put you away, you know, with the uppercut, or he, he's gonna at least hurt you, or you can even get cut just based on like the velocity and angle that he throws those those shots. You know what I mean? So that's that's sensational. But again, that's that one sixty and one fifty four. So we'll have to see how that translates to a higher weight class. Now, Benavidez on the other hand. Again, he'd be fighting his natural weight. You know, he's defense, I mean, offensively gifted, man. He has some really good combinations. And I never seen Benavidez actually like getting backed up in a fight. Um, it says he's they say he has 77 inch reach, but that's a long 77 inch reach. Um, he applies tremendous amount of pressure. Um, and then also keep in mind that at his young age, he sparred guys like um Peter Quillen. He sparred guys like um Latif KO, that cruiserweight and heavyweight back in the day, he he uh, sparred against Kelly Pavlik. And then he also has some um, got some work in with Triple G. So, you know, he's real solid and, and, and experienced for somebody at that young age. Now, unless Jamal can't make 168, I wouldn't want him to take this fight because I think it's a bad matchup, especially in his first fight at that new weight. To me, like, like, why would you fight somebody that is the toughest fighter that you would ever face in your first fight in that division? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I don't know how much this would benefit him. You know what I mean? Like, to the, you know, like, inner circles of boxing, yes. But how much a, does a win over David Benavides do for you in terms of, you know, potentially upping your purses that much more? You know what I mean? It would just be a good win, the fact that it will know that you're a really good fighter, but it really doesn't do anything for you at this stage of your career. Maybe early on, if you would have took, you know, on opposition or an opponent like that, it would have made more sense. But right now you have put yourself, you, you know, you just got a solid win at, at 150, I mean, 160, you know, see if you can go ahead and get some of those other guys and collect more belts at that weight. The other thing is, I think there's two other things. One, I think Benavidez is just too long, his height, his reach, and he's too offensively gifted for Jamal. I think, and there's no knock against Jamal because he did go up from 154 to 160, but he's huge at those weight classes. And, and I think it's like when I mentioned Tank and I mentioned Broner, not, and I'm not putting them in those guys' category, but I'm just saying that I don't like him against somebody who's going to have a physical advantage over him just based on his style. I don't see him like just outboxing Benavidez for the duration of the fight and getting a win that way. I see him. He's to me, a fighter who's typically on the attack and you're not going to be able to beat Benavidez that like that because you're going to be right in his wheelhouse and he's going to be landing some of those powerful punches to me. Benavidez punches like a cruiserweight. And so you don't want to be on the tail end of some of those shots. And like I said, Jamal, he gets hit too much for my liking, and then he gets hit excessively when he gets fatigued. So to me, if they were to fight, I'd say Benavidez probably like 7 to 12 round um, stoppage. Before moving forward, I would also add, in addition to what you said, well, when you, when you basically said what does he gain from, from this fight, him being Charlo, even if he were to win this fight, you don't know what he would lose from taking the damage from Benavidez that he would never get back. And so he would have to he he would potentially have to finish his career out, whether he does it at middleweight or moves up to super. He he still would take some damage that he didn't have to take from a bigger guy that he, he can't undo. Um so I don't like this fight. Um, I, I I personally hope it doesn't go beyond talk, at least for now. 
um, you know, Benavidez, if he if he makes weight, he's a threat to anybody at super middleweight. And um, I would prefer if Charlo was to do that to take a tune-up first at least, take a tune-up or two, really, fighting a, a, a big super middleweight like that. Um, but, you know, all, all of the concerns that we would have that we may have had for Benavidez in the previous fights, like the weight or whatever, I, I, I would like to think that those would be remedied with an opponent like Charlo. And like you said, his reach is just so what do you do with that? You know? Um, so I, I think he would give Charlo problems. I think he would, he would not Charlo out. Um, and probably a middle, probably a middle, maybe a later round. Yeah. This fight is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess Jamal Charlo, he wants to do it big. Um, I really think it's a bad fight. It's a risky fight for him. But it, it could be interesting as far as history is concerned because I think 160, 168 is a, is a difficult weight jump as it is. It's like those 168-pound guys are just uh, – we look at their natural size. I think they're just naturally bigger. Um, when you look at middleweights in the past who've moved up to that weight, like, you know, only special ones, only really good ones have been successful. Uh, you look at, like um, – I look at those that weren't successful, like – Jermaine Taylor, Jermaine Taylor, you know, who is a similar size to uh, Jamal Charlo, and then, then Arthur Abraham and uh, Kelly Pavlik, they couldn't do it. And then you add to the fact that Charlo really started his career, and he won titles at 154. So the only types of fighters who've been successful uh, enough to win a title at 154, you know, 160, 168, are uh, guy names like in most recent is Canelo, but then you're looking at uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, you know, Tommy Hearns, uh, and maybe even Roy Jones. He didn't win a title at 154, but he fought a couple fights very, very early in his career at 154 and he became successful at the later weights. So that 154 to 168 is 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 uh, interesting. Uh, when, when fighters take that jump between 154, 160, and 168, it's, it's very hard for them to be successful at all three. Uh, it's very interesting. And like you guys said, David Benavidez, he's a huge 168-pounder, you know, has long arms, has uh, length on him, um, and, and he punches really, really hard. Um, again, I, but I do think Jamal Charles has been – I've seen him buzz in fights, but I've never seen him really, really hurt bad enough or dropped or anything like that. Um, so it, it'll be interesting. And, and I think uh, – some of this fight can be won outside the ring because uh, for all his imperfections, uh, Jamal Charlo, uh, he's always in shape. You know, he stays in shape when he isn't fighting. He's not uh, – you don't hear about him, you know, getting caught for drugs or, or, or anything like that. As you know, David Benavidez, he had, you know, Vada caught him with, you know, cocaine in the system. You don't hear about stuff like that with Jamal Charlo. I think – Charlo is more serious of a fighter than David Benavidez is up, up to this point. But maybe Benavidez has turned that corner. But if Benavidez is on, I think he, he beats Charlo. Um, could stop him late, but I think he beats him by decision because the size would be too much. But if um, if Benavidez has let those out-of-the-ring out of struggles uh, come to head, if, if he's still dealing with those demons, I think Charlo – it's like snatching that from him, and Charles could win this fight. <laughs> I want to add. Yeah, I think I, I don't think that um, those things may like if Benavidez still is having those type of issues, then that may play a role. Now, that may not just play a role against him against Charlo. That'll play a role against anybody that he faces. Um, I think that. Some of those things may not be as detrimental now because he's so young. Like, dude has just turned 24. You know, you've been hearing about Benavidez for a while, and he's still so young. That that just really fascinates me. But I see a mean young man, you know what I mean, when it comes to fighting. I see a good, you know, hearted guy. But, I, like, when he's in between those ropes, I see somebody who's really vicious, and, and he wants to put some serious hurt on his opponent. And I just don't like that for somebody moving up from to the to 168 pound weight class and somebody who isn't 
I don't think that. And again, it's no knock against Jamal because I like Jamal. I like him at 160, though. I don't like him at 168 because to beat Benavidez. Now, I can see Caleb Plant, who's the same size, outboxing him. And that would be tough for Plant to be able to do. But I can see that because of the physical attributes that he has that, you know, like I say he's the, the same size. He probably can move him around a little bit. And that's just his game. Like his game is something that's going to give Benavidez trouble. Um, but I just don't think that Jamal's game is one in which um, that would give – he would play right into Benavidez's hands already, and then he's moving up in weight. And I think that it, it'll, it'll end bad for him, you know, not only in the fight but, you know, for his career, like moving forward. Like where do I go from here type thing. Yeah, that's fair. I, I can see that. Uh, I, I think, But – to an extent, I think that plays into kind of differences between the two Charlos. I think Jamal is a little more composed than Jamal. They're both fight emotional, which, you know, fight, a fight like that is going to play right into David Benavidez. But I also think Jamal is a little more emotionally composed in fights uh, than Jamal is. And he's the one that hits a, probably hits a little bit harder. But who knows? I, I do think that jump, I don't even like that that weight jump for uh, Jamal Charlo. I, I think he should stay at 160. I think part of the reason uh, is almost like, yeah, he wants to, you know, Benavidez and him, you know, going back and forth and he, he's not going to back down. He's not the type of guy that's going to back down. But also he's looking at that, oh, Canelo is at 168. I can do that too. I'm going to show Canelo I'm in his face, you know, because you know uh, it's been talk of, you know, Charlo versus Canelo, you know, so but um, to the, the bottom line, I of course, that weight jump in it all in itself, I don't like. And for David Benavidez to be the first opponent at 168 without uh, testing the waters, really, I mean, I'm not, I don't think it's great for Jamal Charlo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing that I want to mention, I know, you know, we, we, we getting a little bit long as far as the length of the episode. But, you know, that is, like I said, win versus Benavidez that may not even necessarily mean that you get the Canelo fight. You know what I mean? And the reason why I say that is because that's a good win. But what if Canelo play it as, well, he don't, he doesn't have a title. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm looking to collect the belts, and then I'm going to move on to fight. And then Canelo could like, a fellow might mess around and face Spence or somebody like that afterwards. You know what I mean? At a catch weight. And then he'll play that game for a couple of years. And then he's just stuck there fighting that um, very difficult, tough opponent who took something out of him and you know you're just sitting there then you got to fight other 168 pound fighters until canelo decides he wants to fight you you know what i mean so they still can play that role what plan is doing right now is how he's avoiding plant now of benavidez is he's saying that well you don't have a title so i'm gonna go ahead and you know do this over here i'm gonna take care of these things but you know you had your chance and all of those type of things and so you may on one end you can understand it but again Canelo is not going to be able to fight him at the earliest. It would be September. So you still have time. And I know he has a hand injury and whatnot now. So but he was saying that before the hand injury. All right. So now we're going to move on to our last topic of the day. And we got the crusher, you know, old Sergey Kovalev failed not only one, but two drug tests. Um, I think it was synthetic testosterone that he had in the system eight days within the first drug test, he failed the second drug test. So what do you guys think about this news? I mean, this is not even like just PEDs. This is not even regular PEDs. This is not even uh, the him getting tested for high levels of, of, of just testosterone in his system or even a masking agent. He, he, he failed two tests with full-blown synthetic, you know, testosterone. He pretty much steroids. This dude, we shouldn't even call him. We shouldn't even call him the crush anymore. We should call him Sergey OJ, the Juice Man Kovalev. He's the new OJ. It's like it's like he had a dream of, of, of the fighter and thought I'm going. I'm going to take some juice. We, we don't know how how long he's been juicing. It's just it's just not good. It's not a good look. It's it's upsetting. Like I said, we should just call him, you know, the Juice Man OJ. <laughs> I had a dream of a fighter. Crack me upside my head. <laughs> this guy just, man, man, it just upsets me, you know. But 
But it's good though. He got caught. Not he's probably not gonna make the Hall of Fame now. Justice is gonna be served. Uh, we, we, even though we got robbed and him get knocked out by this this uh, fighter, the upcoming fighter he's gonna fight. Uh, I know Danny wanted to see that. It's just not good. It's not good for Kovalev. Yeah, I agree, man. Um, I, I'm not gonna touch on it because I'm just really not surprised. But you call the man a juice man, so you know we we got you said Sergey the, the juice man. Uh, Kovalev is that his new name? Yeah, now? That's his new name. Is he talking about juice man as far as the one that's with Gucci man? A quarter mil, half a mil. Hey. <laughs> I, don't I, I didn't know if you was talking about like OJ Simpson or OJ the Juice. No, man. I say OJ uh, uh, Oran Juice Jones, man. He, oh, still, okay. he, the, he okay. the Juice Man. Yeah, I got. You. He, he, yeah, he like got the ring with a, with a glass of orange juice with, with, with roids on it. <laughs> right, you're right. But you know, like I say, man, right with him, it nothing ceases to amaze me as far as Kovalev because he's such a scoundrel. You know what I mean? That. It just doesn't surprise me. So I'll leave it at that. Danny, do you have anything that you want to say as far as that's concerned or anything else? I just hate that that man listened to our episode and heard my Bektamir Melikuziev knockout prediction and said, man, Jason is the only way and got caught. I hate that for him. I'm sorry if I have anything to do with your career derailing. I'm sorry, bro. It wasn't personal. I just I just wanted to see the yeah, world yeah. shot. That's all. It- it's not good. It's not good, and and I must say it, it's detrimental because, well, you and I watched that first fight with him in war, and, and you know we was like that's a close fight. He might have won that fight, you know, but in a fight like that, everything that happens afterwards de- determines the outlook of how we're gonna look back on that fight, you know. So, looking at how he far he's falling, it, it just diminished from what could be like what could have been like a, a, a um. Pernell Whitaker Chavez situation where when we look back on history, we're like, oh yeah, Whitaker, you know, he got that victory. You know, we could, it's a draw, but officially, but it's a, it's a robbery. Saw, you know, Andre Ward take his career seriously even after that Kovalev fight. You know, he still fought a couple fights and, you know, did his thing. He knocked Kovalev out in the rematch. Mm-hmm. And Kovalev is just, just you know, the, the more he's going to, the more he screws up, the more detrimental. We're gonna look back on his his uh, light heavyweight career. It's almost like we forgot that th- this is. The, it's hard to believe this is the same guy that beat Bernard Hopkins from pillar to post and dominated him. You know, the first time Bernard Hopkins been pretty much dominated for a, you know in a long time, if any. You know, <laughs> and and to see it see it come to this point, it just you know, it's sad. It's sad, and, and even this, his comments that he says, his, his behavior, his his. His attitude is just it's disrespectful to boxing. It's just disrespectful. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. There's a couple of things I would say, but I don't want um, the episode to go on longer than it has to. So I'll keep my comments to myself. Um, anything else that you guys have to get off your chest before we wrap things up? All no, right. Sir. So, you know, just as we always say, just make sure you uh, – Keep checking us out. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode. Also, you can catch us on YouTube, get those different segments of the podcast. Danny, I want to shout you out once again, doing a superb job of giving that round by round, um, you know, information that you was giving us about the Caleb Plant versus Caleb Truex fight. That was all outstanding. Um, we, as far as anything that we have, as far as our social media, make sure that you like, make sure you subscribe. And uh, on that note, we out of here. Peace.